One Space Love podcast for the love of music, lifestyle and well-being while caring for our planet. On this podcast, I will be chatting with musicians, artists and creative minds that are living life on purpose while doing what they love. You're listening to One Space Love Podcast and I'm your host, Stephanie Pappas. My next guest is Ohad Ryan. Ohad is from Old Man River. He also has a new project called Omkar Kirtan. I have known him for almost 15 years now and we go into where our stories cross paths in this chat. Um, so please welcome my guest, Ohad Ryan. Welcome, Ohad Ryan, to One Space Love podcast. Hey. <laughs> hey there. Thanks for having me, darling. You're very welcome. I'm going to, like I had a bit of a flashback because it's been around, I think around 2007 when La came out that I contacted you to um, be on the catwalk at Mercedes Australian Fashion Week as a solo artist with your guitar. I think you had a female vocalist with you. I can't remember her name. And yeah. I had my um, catwalk collection and that was how we met. I think I reached out to you over internet those days. By I can't remember. Where, I didn't go through a manager, but I just said, hey, I really love this song. Do you want to be part of Mercedes Australian Fashion Week? And you were like, yeah. So <laughs> that That's was the amazing. first time I met you. Yeah. Yeah, it's so amazing. I, I forgot about that, and you just reminded me now. Um, that was that was. I, w- I won't lie. That was an awkward gig. Yeah, but uh, we were back but I loved we it. You, we had you backstage. I mean, talking about like music industry, we had you backstage with models mm. stripped down naked, and that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that part that was probably my... was. <laughs> That wasn't bad at all. That oh, was okay. so interesting. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed seeing the backstage ins and outs of the yeah. fashion industry. Yeah. If you know that's what, what I mean. Have, yeah. That's what we have to deal with every fashion show. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty hectic. Like, uh, yeah, the, the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, <laughs> models would... I remember the moment they would come into the backstage, like, they would just be so cool a moment before and then mm-hmm. they go to the backstage and they start running and taking all their clothes off yep. and it's like a formula one race people just surround <laughs> them and start like <laughs> dressing for, them yeah up for those them. of you who haven't been backstage at Mercedes Australian Fashion Week you actually have someone that's allocated to two models and they're there with the unzipped clothes ready to throw the next garment onto the model I didn't know wow. we were going to go here today but this is this is fun yeah <laughs> backstage it's at Mercedes Australian yeah. Fashion Week why not? So, Bring you know, as far as production, I think I didn't know anything about production then and you turned up and we just made it happen and got you on that catwalk. So, yeah. And I think you walked along the catwalk with the models. Yeah, it was good memories. That's right. I played <laughs> I played at the catwalk. That yeah. was so bizarre. Yeah. 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 And then the next time we reconnected, I reached out to you again. I was doing 11-11-11 event called... Oh. Um, well, Earth Day. Yes. And I still have that t shirt. Yes. 
and I printed yeah. T-shirts. I had hardly any tickets sold. I was freaking out. And then all of a sudden we were past max, like over 500 people turned up to Petersham Town Hall. I think mm. that last week all the tickets sold out beyond. And I'd asked you to collaborate with musicians you hadn't even met and to, I think we did Wake Up, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yep. We did Wake Up. Yeah. yeah. Good memory. I have a good memory. Mm. <laughs> and um, you just trusted me both those times. And you're one of those people that I'd love to hang out with and have dinner. We don't live in the same place. I haven't even met your children, but I feel like I, you know, I know you as a soul. So it's, it just felt right to have you on today. Of course, you are definitely a creative soul doing what you love. So let's go in. Could you introduce yourself to the listeners by finishing the statement, I am? Ooh. Mm. I am what I am. I could say I am that, which is the book uh, that's beside my bed uh, by Srini Sagadatta. Can't say I read the whole thing, but I do open it and get inspired. Um, so, yeah, I am that. So my name is Ohad, and what am I? I'm a traveler. Um a music man, a producer. Biggest project I've been involved in is the Old Man River project, which we just spoke about. So that's a more poppy, fun, psychedelic, mm. kind of Beatles-like project that took me, I mean, I was very fortunate to have a few hits with this project that then took me all over the world and played big stages and big festivals. So I got a taste of that an amazing uh, world. And recently I've just launched a new project, uh, which is called Omkar, Omkar Kirtan. And that's where I channel my devotion. It's more mantra music, devotional music, Kirtan. Uh, and I've just released an album uh, this week, first mm -hmm. album in this project. And besides that, I produce, I live up in Byron Bay in Malambimbi. And, um, I own a recording studio called Blissball Studios, where I work with a lot of clients and do just a wide variety of music. Uh, married to Alona and have two girls, Lila, Eleven, and Elia, who's turning five next week. Beautiful. So that's my. That's me in a nutshell. It is you in more than a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, what always attracted to me is you are such a creative soul. Every project that I saw you do, you do it with such commitment, you know, from the styling and the presentation and the marketing. And as soon as I saw um, In the Name of Loving, is that what it's called? The the, the album oh, is called In the Names, in the name of, of Love. In the, names. in the Names of Love. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So In the Names of Love. Yeah which is a play off a very famous song I love from you too, Bono. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we do it? In the name. In the name <laughs> of love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Take me back. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure you are, you know, relating to all the different names of love. Yeah. I mean, for people who are not aware of what kirtan is or mantra music is. Bhakti music. Or bhakti music, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, because it is like a scene and a pretty small scene or sub-genre. Um, kirtan is a practice, it's a yogic practice, 
which is ancient. It's been around for thousands of years. And it's part of the bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the branch in yoga that's dedicated to conditioning and balancing the heart. Yeah. So, you know, in, in hatha yoga, which is the most commonly known form of yoga, we balance the physical body with different postures. And yoga, that aspect of balancing and harmonizing um, our lives, there's different branches. You can balance your intellect with gyan yoga, um, and then the heart, which is kind of my favorite um, thing to do, really. You, you use the bhakti, uh, bhakti yoga methods. And one of them is chanting out mantras, singing them out. Um, and you, we also, in this practice, we sing the names of love and, or the different names of the divine. Yeah. And the names of love, it's, it's a bit tricky, but it's kind of like, it's the different forms of the formless. Mm. And it's the various parts that make up the one. It's that complexity that really leads to the one simplicity. Um, but it's all love. And when we, when we chant those different aspects of love, we're actually invoking those qualities within us and yep. we awaken that love within us. It is so well said. And that is definitely, I've been listening to it over and over again because you sent me the link. It is out now on Spotify and I've been listening to it. It's such, yeah, I, you've definitely picked up all the the names and the songs that really resonate with that heart chakra and, yeah, it's done really well. But, of course, it Thank has you. your folk feel to it and your, you know, you can see that it has your style and, yeah, you've carried that through. So it's really nice. Let's go how you've, let's go back to how you've got to where you are today. Um, growing up for you, you didn't grow up in, in Australia. Can you share a little bit of how that has drawn upon who you are today, your experiences and, you know, when music came into it for you? Yeah. So I was actually, I was born in Sydney to Israeli parents in the late 70s. So I was born in Neutral Bay, North Shore. Okay. Yeah. But um, we we left when I was a baby, and then moved on to Europe, where my dad got another job, and eventually my parents made the decision to go back to Israel when I was about four. So that's where I grew up. I grew mm. up in Israel, and I was pretty much there until finishing the army, the compulsory mm -hmm. army service. So that was twenty one. And I only came back to Australia when I was 20, 22, 23, about, like after a, a bit of travel time. And I was living in New York City and traveling in India and the Far East. And then I came back here. Um, but yeah, growing up in Israel, you know, it's, it's quite different, um, yeah. I'm assuming, to growing up in, in Australia. And it's given me a wider perspective on life here. I really, I really appreciate the life in Australia mm. uh, after those experiences. I love the insights and the lessons that I learned in Israel. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to live in this ancient land and 
such a peaceful place as well mm. compared to all the action we've got going in the Middle East. So how was that growing up and being part of the military? Like where did music come into that for you? Music came to me first from home. Mm-hmm. My dad uh, is an avid well, avid collector of vinyls back then and tape cassettes and then CDs, but he was really into more classical music and jazz. And I would just absorb like all the stuff he was was listening to. I would just absorb it and literally physically absorb his CDs, like take him over to my room, um, annex them, you know, they would just mysteriously disappear. And then my, my older brother was, uh, was a huge influence because he was the one that introduced me to rock and roll. And he was playing the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and ACDC and stuff like that. And then he was also playing electric guitar. And as older brothers, older siblings um, often do, he would forbid me from going into his room and touching his stuff which only made me want to do it more. Mm-hmm. How so much older would, is he to you? He's seven, there's a seven year gap. Oh, wow, yeah, us. okay. So I looked up to him, he was, you know, super cool. And obviously every time he left the house, I would just sneak into the room, grab the electric guitar and just have so much fun. Um, but then, yeah, I would pay the price when, uh, when he caught me out. I was gonna say, did he catch you? <laughs> Oh, yes, and it was painful. Oh. <laughs> but it made like my parents realize, well, okay, we got to get him a guitar. Otherwise, uh, yeah, this is going to be bloody. <laughs> and uh, but it was great because that gave me, you know, I look at my daughters now and mm. I was just talking to my wife about this last night, actually. Like, how do we motivate them to to get into stuff like music? And how do we like ignite that flame mm. and I'm so grateful that my brother motivated me in that way you know that sibling rivalry and so when I did grab the guitar I was like I'm gonna practice so much I'm gonna be better than you and so I would just play the guitar all day and all night and just be you know do that 10,000 hour thing yeah. like as a kid and literally taught yourself I, well, I did, I did go to classical uh, lessons for a bit and then got into jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mainly, yeah, the main practice would be from just playing music in my room really loud. I don't know how my neighbors would <laughs> stand for it and, and just trying to copy what the guitar player was doing and the recording and me Incredible. just fantasizing that I was Jimmy Page. And <laughs> Yeah, who were some of the artists that, I mean, you mentioned that your dad, you know, was listening to jazz, but who did you get inspired by back then while you picked up the guitar? Well, early on it was, I, I was a huge fan of Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. uh, Pink Floyd, those kind of bands. But in the same token, I uh, I was listening to a lot of Dave Brubeck okay. and, and Bach. And so it was like this weird mix and, and yeah, it was the 90s. So Pearl Jam was a huge influence. Mm. Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. It was either, you know, there were like two camps at the school. It was either Guns of Roses or Pearl Jam. So I was like a Pearl Jam camp. Me too. When you were traveling over there, is this when you got to um, busk for um, Yoko Ono? Is that one of the yeah. experiences? Well, tell me about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so I was in, growing up in Israel, I was in bands, mm-hmm. um, you know, rock and roll bands or jazz bands in school. And then in the army, um, there was a bit of a pause with anything musical because I was in a bass most of the weeks. Mm. And one, one thing that the ar- army did, it was almost like a string and a catapult, you know, it, it, it stretched me back and back and back and back and back. And when I was released, I was so ready to just dive into the world. And I had this romantic dream of moving to New York City and doing the Bob Dylan thing. And I, I, I literally did it. I showed up with a guitar and maybe $500 and just rolled around. Like, gone, What year was this? The, this was in 2001. So it was just a few months before September 11. I was there. Oh, really? I'm serious. I was living in oh Queens in Astoria and working in fashion um, for Betsy Johnson. Oh, my God. Yeah. So at the same time. Yeah. What a, what a crazy. What a place, hey, back then. Period. To, to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to live there, like, and yeah. see the before and after. Yeah. I mean, wow. So for me, I was, you know, I was there doing what you do in New York as a 20-year-old, like partying hard and um, working in shitty jobs. I kind of got distracted from my dream, my original dream, which was to, to go and make it there in the music. And then September 11 happened. Mm. And that was a huge shift. It was like almost like an existential crisis because I went, I don't know if you remember the vibe those days, but... Oh, I mean, I was there. I had to walk it, through... Manhattan, and I was so close to the towers that I could see. Yeah, it's it's yeah, an experience it was, it was I'll smoky. never forget. It you know you could you could smell it and see yeah for three months or something. The whole oh, thing was and then great. we had anthrax yeah. and we had the military on exactly military would have yeah so on the all the trains. Spread, yeah, yeah, that's what people forget that yeah. like for weeks, months later, there was still like a daily threat. We were in fear. Yeah. yeah. And after that thing happened, you thought, okay, the world might end mm-hmm. any day. And, mm-hmm. and, and I find that that was an amazing time because it pushed all the people there to their way of thinking, my life can end tomorrow. Okay, yeah. what do I want to do right now? Yeah. So amazingly, the parties were the best ever because, mm-hmm. you know, people lived like there was no tomorrow. Yeah. And and it pushed me to that realization of, wait, I didn't come here to work in a shitty job. And I, straight away, I got this urge to just start playing music. And I didn't really know what to do. So I started busking. And I was busking mainly in the subway. And, you know, the war with Afghanistan was just starting. And so I was singing all these protest songs, Bob Marley songs and Bob Dylan songs. And... I would spend so many hours there in the subway that I would slowly start writing my own songs. Um, And that was an amazing experiment, like creative experiment, because Mm -hmm. you're there interacting with thousands of people. You know, they come and go, but you kind of stay there. But the Yoko Ono story is kind of funny because when it was a nice day, I used to go up to Central Park. Yep. And there was a, you know, a good money-making opportunity if you went to Strawberry Fields, you know, on 72nd Street. And if you play Beatles songs, you know, people would love it. Um, so that was my, you know, my <laughs> chance to make some easy buck. And one of those days, I'm sitting there in Strawberry Fields, closing my eyes, playing, uh, I think it was Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds. Mm-hmm. 
And when I opened my eyes, Yoko Ono was there in front of me because wow. she still lives there, like in the mm-hmm. Dakota building and uh, kind of just giving me the thumbs up, you know, like. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> what a, yeah, incredible. <laughs> I want... I want to ask from there because is this where you began writing your own music? Was that the moment in New York where the creative download started to happen and you you had your own voice? Is that what you're saying? Definitely, yeah. definitely. Because up until that moment, I was very shy of my voice. Um, mm. I was always doing backing vocals in the bands and mainly doing like, um, you know, lead guitar. So there I, I definitely found my voice, which was... And I see it now with artists that I'm producing. To find your voice is a huge thing. Yeah, it's like a lifelong journey. Um, so I think that's where it started. And, and interestingly enough, that's where I mean in New York, I had loads of different downloads. Um, I mean, people don't seem to associate New York w- with a spiritual place. You know, we tend to think of India as a spiritual place, but Oh, to Far me, it's such a creative, spiritual place. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. The insights, you know, that uh, I was exposed to there, the downloads that I've received in New York, they were like priceless. And, um, and, and funny enough, that, that led me to go to India. I never wanted to go to India. Okay. I was like a city slicker, wanted to make it in New York. Couldn't was care there, less about India. Was there a person or a moment, like, because you're saying you had downloads and, and spiritual awareness there. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, yeah. a lot of it had to do with psychedelic drugs okay. that I yep. was taking, a lot of it. Also combined with that attitude um, as of a 20-year-old that just, that openness and I was fearless. Mm. And I knew, you know, I didn't have to work and, when I woke up every morning, I had this huge smile on my face because I knew that by the time I go to bed, anything could happen. Mm. And it was like that. Every day, a, a new amazing story would be written, you know? And and a lot of it would have happened when I left the house with my guitar, you know, like with the guitar bag strapped to my shoulder. Things happened. So mm. I just noticed that where music would could take me, um, but there was definitely one moment, which I remember is like, yeah. a, like an aha moment. Oh yeah. Which led to like where I'm at today. And this is things you realize in hindsight. Um, I was living with a guy sharing, um, the apartment and I was so broke. He it was just a, fr- a good friend and he'd let me crash on his couch in the living room. And we all have one of those friends back in the twenties. <laughs> Yeah, and a couch. I was so yeah. grateful. I was like, oh, this this would do. <laughs> Amazing. Um, he And he had a job. We were partying all night, and he had a job as a, as a nanny in a kindergarten. Oh. So by, by night, at nighttime, he was like the psychedelic trance king of New York. And 6 a.m., boom, the guy wakes up, puts up a tie, um, would do his like yoga stretches in the living room. And this is what I'm sleeping there in the living room. I can just sleep in because I don't have to go anywhere. And he he was in India maybe five times. So the whole, the whole house was, you know, covered with photos from India and he would light up incense, like mm-hmm. Nag Champa. I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about the stuff. And this is where it gets interesting. 
he would put on a tape cassette from his trip uh, by an Indian singer called Jagjit Singh. And he, that singer was singing devotional bhajans, mm-hmm. so devotional hymns to Devi, to yep. Ma, to the, the Divine Mother. I knew nothing of all this stuff, but I would hear these magical sounds that would sift into my dreams and to my subconscious. Yeah. JJ Ma, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. all I know is that one day I woke up and I was like, I got to go to India. It was like this huge voice, which was contradictory to everything that was happening to me at the time. Like I was doing really well in New York. I was, I was starting to get gigs and uh, had an amazing girlfriend and had interest from record labels. Like, and then I was like, I got to leave this place. I got to go to India. And against all odds. Did you leave the girlfriend? I left everything. Yeah, I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced that before. (laughs) Sometimes you just feel the calling and you have to trust. Yeah, it it wasn't an easy process. I remember being completely split up and crying. But my heart, my heart was Mm. yearning for India. And of course, when I got to India, I realized that it was meant to be, yeah. Is this where you learned to play the sitar? Yeah, when I went to India, um, I studied... Indian music, I studied the sitar in Varanasi for a few months, and mm. a bit of harmonium. Yeah. What an experience. So how long were you over there? About a year. Okay. Yeah, the and first then, time. And then to Australia or back to New York? No, so after India, I basically ran out of money and <laughs> I kind of remember, not remember, I knew that I had my Australian passport. And the same way I, I, I never had an inclination to go to India, I never had an inclination to go back to Australia. Um, but by that stage, my older siblings moved to Sydney because, you know, they were older than me. They had nostalgic memories of Australia. So they decided to move there. And I just thought, okay, I'll crash with my brother and sister, work for a couple of months, make some money and go back to India. Mm. But when I came to Sydney, you know, I got stuck there until today. (laughs) So now we're in Sydney and you had quite, is this where you started to get in touch with the record labels and release the songs that we know, Sunshine, La, is what did it happen in Australia? Yeah, I got to Sydney and then really quickly uh, reconnected with my friends from birth, pretty much, Ido and Adav Khan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, these guys... Our parents are really good friends. And um, the, the funny thing was I didn't see them for maybe 10, 15 years. And so all I remembered was like playing with them as kids. There's photos of me and Ido sharing a bath together when we we're like babies. You as know? babies. As babies. That's how yeah. f- we, we know each other from birth pretty much. Right. That's how crazy it is. Because actually uh, that's how we reconnected was we through Ido. Yeah. Exactly. Adult. Yeah. Mm. So I just knocked on their door uh, one day and, you know, I was just fresh from India. I had dreadlocks, looked like this sadhu. (laughs) They were living, uh, they were staying at Ben Lee's apartment in Bondi. Yeah. (laughs) With Ian Ball from Gomez. And they were just, that was the the phase in their life when they were playing in a rock and roll band called Gelbison. Yes. 
which is how he got to meet Jessica, which we spoke to her on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, you know, they they were very trendy, those guys there. They were, like, wearing some really hip clothes and they were all about how they looked and making really interesting music. And I knock on their door and they see this guy that looks like a human porcupine and they just go... Come on in. They just pretty much took me in. And from that moment, we were almost, uh, yeah, you couldn't disconnect us. Inseparable, yeah. Inseparable. And then they they were very kind to me. And they just kind of like took me on board. And I, I joined the band as a, as a roadie, as a guitar tech. Wow. Okay. So I was tuning Ido's guitars, giving it to him, you know, on the stage. And so touring, all of a sudden I found myself touring all over Australia. Um, And then they realized, you know, I could play a bit and write. So they ended up, the first, yeah, I ended up joining Gelderson, but we also did a project together. uh, Me, Ido Nadav, and Luke Steele from Empire of the Sun and Sleepy Jackson. We did a psychedelic country album called Nations by the River. So, you know, within a very short while from the moment I got to Australia, I just found myself almost parachuting into the heart of the music scene. Lovely. Um, Sorry. I have everyone I speak to that are doing what they love. They really have listened along the path. And the fact that you just showed up to their house, I mean, you know, and then had the apartment in New York with that flatmate, these are all really special moments along your path that have led you to where you are today. Yeah, I love love that perspective, you know, because we go through life and it's like you're walking through the dark forest and Mm. you don't know. And it's overgrown almost, you know. It doesn't make sense. There's no path there because you're creating your path. So it's very natural for us to be anxious and confused about where we're going. But I love the fact that then you look back with perspective and you, you... you realize that there's logic, there's meaning in all those different points. Yeah. Which is, that's why you have to trust the process. And, yeah. and that's like, like kind of like you're saying, the heart knows. But I was going to say, and, and let the heart guide you more than the mind and the thoughts. Yeah. And, yeah. The mind, it's really legit that the mind is freaking out. It's got all the reasons to freak out. Mm. But we just, you know, hopefully the wiser, the, the older we get, we 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 start we start understanding. Okay, the mind's not really the one mm. to listen to in these situations. Just mm. trust the heart. And thing I think that helps me lately um, is is a technique I swiped from Tara Brock, this beautiful Buddhist teacher. I know, yeah. And what a she beautiful teacher. About, yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. So she talks about you know whenever you're confused, just meet your future self. And, you know, that future self is the, the one that saw it all. It's the wise. It's you towards the end of the journey. Mm. seen it all. Just go and get some advice from your future self. Mm. And we are, we, we're like the river. We are all those elements at the same time. We are our past, the, the present, and the future. So it's We are the old man river. The exactly. ebb and the flow. <laughs> Just keep rolling. Yeah. Well, let's roll back. So now you're you're part of this new band with the with the boys. 
yep. how did you get on to then the solo career of Old Man River? So all this, all this period really exposed me to how things work in the music yeah. industry, you know. Um, I was very lucky. I met a lot of uh, music industry people, recording studios, touring. There was like a lot of amazing lessons there. And then um, I was sharing an apartment with Nadav and those guys were really smart and they took some of their advance money for making the album and invested in recording gear. So our apartment was just loaded with all these recording um, devices and microphones. And without kind of knowing what I was doing, I started playing with the recording gear. And the result was an EP I made. And then I decided to start this project, Old Man River. And Old Man River was uh, a culmination of, you know, all those songs I wrote when I was living in New York, traveling in India. It was kind of like time to release all that stuff that I absorbed during those years of travel. Um, And I I was really, really clueless back then, like so clueless that I had an EP and then I was like, I asked a friend, what should I do now? And the friend said, you should hire a publicist. So I hired a publicist. And she took the single Sunshine to Triple J. Mm-hmm. And they played it on high rotation. It was actually the most played single on the station that year. Like that, that, that summer. Yeah. And, and I was so just happy-go-lucky, ignorant, stupid, I don't know what, that... You know, I would hear the song driving. I would hear it on the radio. I would come back. So home. did we all? <laughs> I remember. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, w- I was just thinking, oh, this was this is what happens when you release a song to the radio. It just gets hammered. <laughs> so I wasn't appreciating any of it. I didn't have a manager. Okay. Um, so what do you do when so much momentum is gathered? What did I do? I left the country for a year. I went traveling for a year. <laughs> I remember because it was a while until the next one came out. I was at the next album launch and I was like, where did he go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, just following the heart and yep. like being young enough and clueless enough to, to be able to do that. Um, but that was great because in that year period, I toured a bit in the States. I rekindled my flame with my wife now, Alona, because we had this like long distance relationship, epic saga for a few years. And I, was she in America? She was in Israel. Okay. So I had this like round the world ticket. And so I did the States, Israel, and then I had to stop in London for a stopover. And again, it's one of those things. I had to stop for a day or two. And I ended up staying in London for four months, um, completing the first album, the first Old Man River album with an old friend of mine. Okay. So by the time I got back to Australia, album was done and I was still lucky enough to um, have some interest from record labels. And then um, Sony offered me a deal and then I got signed to them and put out the first album. Is that with the track La? Yeah, that was yep. with La. And then the whole yeah. La, La madness started from there. <laughs> it sure did. So... From there, you know, you were at the top of the game. I, I remember you were touring, you were playing, you know, 
you were uh, you're an aria award-winning musician with old man river right yeah how was that moment (laughs) amazing i mean things happen so fast and so intensely um for that three four year period um yeah it was just this amazing time where in such a short span of time we got to tour all over the world and play huge, huge stages um, and be so lucky to have hits, you know, like a hit, like I was number one in Japan for a short period, which is like, it's like science fiction to me. And I think even when I think about it now, it's so bizarre. And uh, in Italy as well, what I loved about yeah. the success of Old Man River was that it kind of like, it went to really unusual places, like non-conventional places. Everyone dreams of, breaking the states or the uk but never happened in those places it actually happened in like cute places yeah, with great food mm-hmm. <laughs> and great culture so i, 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 I was Italy, loving yeah. it really i got to yeah, live in, Flo- in florence for a year okay it is Beautiful good food place. yeah yeah oh good, the best <laughs> and they, over there like when you play a venue they just everyone Every venue has either got a restaurant hmm. or has got some kind of deal with a restaurant and they manja, force you manja. to eat. you got to eat before the <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And then manja. you eat this like five course meal. And like <laughs> by the time we get to the stage, we're like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, no. yeah. It's all about the feed. Oh, it's so good. So you really, it really feels like you, you know, with a natural ebb and flow, you came to the top of the mountain doing what you love, writing music. Yeah. What happened after that? Because I feel like something happened after that and I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> oh, of course. Mm. Well, you know, I was talking about the happy-go-lucky period. I think I was just riding a good wave and I was lucky enough to hit all those things in the beginning of my, my journey. Now, the thing is, There's complexity in the journey and you fail and it doesn't always work out. So things catch up with you. Like it either happens to you in the beginning and eventually you might enjoy success or you might start with success and then fail. So naturally after that high, uh, the next thing that happened to me was a huge crisis. Okay. And that's really symbolized in the release of my second album is Old Man River, which ironically I called it Trust. Yep, I know, yep. <laughs> what was the crisis? Are we allowed to go there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to share that. I think it's really important to talk about those parts, not only the great yep. the peaks, but also it makes up the journey. And um, Trust was like a second, classic second album syndrome. Um, after a very successful first album, and a lot of money that came in. I was like, let's make the most grandiose album we can. We recorded it in three different countries um, with like the best producers, best mixers. It cost tens of thousands of dollars to make that album. And of course it flopped. And at the same time, same junction, so many things were happening. I left, I mean, the original band that was touring with me for the first album, 
they all left and there was like a new band forming, which was a bit more professional, less, we were less buddies, you know, like the mm-hmm. first band. More like um, session musicians. and More session musicians. Yep. I mean, they're still good friends, but the first band was really tight because we went through so many experiences together. Um, and I left my record label and Alona, my wife, became pregnant with our first child, Lila, just when all this was happening. So I was becoming a parent. And everything combined just really scrambled me and threw me into this like really confused state of mind um, where if I can pinpoint the condition, I started, when I just entered you know, the music business with the first album, I had no expectations. Yeah. I was just doing it for the love and following my bliss literally. And I couldn't care less if the album would sell five copies or a million copies. But once I started... It's got goosebumps taste- because this is really important. Yeah. <laughs> once I started tasting the sweet, you know, taste of success, I started having expectations and... You know, I was expecting the album, the next album to do not just as well as the first one, but even better. And I started yeah. having this competitive mindset. And with my manager, I would be like really hard on him, you know, like just going, how come we're not getting this? We're not getting that. And and in hindsight, yeah, I was just an asshole. <laughs> you know, like, and, and then I started blaming everybody for the failure you know i was blaming the manager i was blaming the label i was blaming my musicians i was blaming the fact that i was i was a dad now and parenthood was just taking away from my mojo and um and of course then i was blaming myself and i spiraled into this really low place and and then my wife alona was really missing Israel and her parents and her family, you know, we've got a baby at the stage, so she wants to be close to her mom. And she suggested we move to Israel for just like a fresh start. And I was like, let's do it. (laughs) I'll just do anything right now. Let's like, so I cleaned up in Australia and left everything and we moved to Tel Aviv. And that was actually really hard. It's almost like I entered like a, you know, like a period of like seven bad years in a way, like where... Going back to the trauma. Back to the trauma, having to like resolve a lot of issues that I had with the place and with the people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that place has a tendency to really hit me, like in all the trigger points. It's kind of like spending a weekend with your family, you know, you just... (laughs) You think, you think you're so enlightened, like Ramda said, you know, try yeah. spending some time with your family. Um, so, I mean, we can go talk about Israel. That was a whole other chapter. Um, but for me, it was really like hitting the lowest of the low yeah. and exploring the rock bottom, you know, like exploring that. Um, but what I'm grateful for, and that's probably saved me, you know, was that um, just before we left, I really got into yoga and into a, a tradition of yoga called Satyananda <sighs> Yoga. And yep. they had a they had a beautiful ashram. The ashram, yeah, at Mangrove Mountain. Exactly, the Central Coast. Yes, I forgot that you connected to them. Yeah. 
And it's funny because my wife introduced me to that practice. She was really into it and I was never interested. And um, as a birthday gift, she took me up there to the ashram for a weekend retreat. And mm -hmm. I just really loved it, really loved all the practices. And I kept going back there. And that's actually where I started doing kirtan uh, properly. But yeah, you know, they figured out that I was a musician, kind of enrolled me straight away to the kirtan duty. And I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do it. And they were like, okay, well, you can clean the toilets. I was like, I'll take kirtan, no problem, let's, let's do it. So that was your act of service. And that was, I mean, you'd already been introduced to bhakti music. So that was, um, you were already introduced to um, bhakti music, mantras, kirtan, being over in India. So now you're reintroduced to it in this chapter of your life now at Mangrove Mountain. Yeah, my relationship with Kirtan is funny because I, yeah, I was exposed to it in India in the Indian form, which is when you go to a temple. It's very different, yeah. In the middle of the night, they have like this spontaneous celebration. It's what's called a jagran, where a bunch of guys would just be sitting on the floor with their cartels and singing all night. So I saw that side and I loved it. Uh, but I was never exposed to like the Western Kirtan mm -hmm. until Ido dragged me to uh, the, a Krishna Das concert in Petersham at the same yeah. hall where you did. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I actually got oh, cool. through the sound with Chris Hooper, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, he dragged me. I didn't know what to expect. And, I mean, I, I got to be honest, with the Western Kirtan scene, when when I was there, and I'm, I'm very, I come from a Jewish secular family. We're very cynical, you know, in my family, mm -hmm. very judgmental. So when I was like, just checking out the scene, like the external scene, seeing all these people in the back, just waving their arms, chanting Hare Krishna, and, <laughs> you know, losing themselves. Yeah. I was it was like, a movement. I, so I thought yeah. the, the people are crazy. They're crazy. Yeah. And, and I, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> Believe me, I've been very judged from holding events with people going, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Krishna, yeah, Krishna, Krishna like, Hare. And I'm like, I am not a Krishna, but I love music. Because <laughs> externally, it's not as sexy as other scenes, you know? <laughs> it's, a, it's an internal experience, but yeah. outside, it doesn't look great. <laughs> um, I was really close to the stage. And in those days, I must have had, my Afro was double the size. So it was very noticeable and memorable. And, and it wasn't a, you know, Krishna Das was very close to me. And so- um, But what a I vibration, like what a person to see. I mean, he's, yeah. Amazing. So oh. I, did, I did definitely soaked something and he really struck me as interesting, but I, I, I honestly can't tell you I got into it. Okay. What happened the next day is one of those amazing events uh, where I had a gig down in Melbourne with my band and we were late to the flight as always because of just a bunch of faffers until we get our <laughs> gear together. And so by the time we board the plane, everyone's already seated. And I walk down the aisle and there's Krishna Das sitting in one of the seats and he stops me because he recognizes the fro man. Wow. And, and he stops and he goes, yo. And I was like, hey. And he goes, you were at the concert yesterday. I was like, yeah, I was there. And he goes, are you guys a band? You look like a band. And I was like, yeah, we're playing a gig in Melbourne. And he, he was really interested in the show. And I was like, do you want to come? 
And he was like, yeah, I'd love to come. <laughs> wow, I, had a lo- I didn't know this story. <laughs> so he wanted to come. Um, and I, I was like, all right, should I put Krishna Das on the guest list? How does it work? <laughs> and he was like, just put KD, KD plus yeah. one. And uh, I was like, cool, great. I gave him the details. And then he's like, Wait, what time are you playing? I was like, probably midnight. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. This is uh, way past my bedtime. <laughs> and then he kind of felt a bit bad. So he was like, but I'd love to invite you to my workshop. I'm doing the next day. Um, and I was like, okay. And he gave me the details. And I rocked up to that workshop with my bass player, Liam. Rocked up with my judgmental, critical mind. And just listening to, to, to him speak. And... And again, what a guy, you know. To I've like, been to his workshop. What a workshop, you know. Amazing. So, yeah. I, you know, you guys just, I love this style. And he was like swearing and talking like this Jewish guy from Brooklyn. And I could really relate to him. He wasn't too airy-fairy about it all. But I was still a lot, of, I had a lot of bugging questions, you know, about the practice. And I asked him, I was like, why do we have to chant in Sanskrit? I don't know what I'm singing. Why can't I just like sing sunshine, sunshine over yeah. and over again? It'll probably get yeah. to the same effect, man. <laughs> and <laughs> he it's could such see. such a common question. Yeah. <laughs> and he could see what I was made up of. And he was like, it's like, okay, look, dude, I can't really give you a satisfying answer. You just have to try it for yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, try it for yourself. Experience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Experience. <laughs> but I did, yeah, I took it on board and, I guess it was only years later. Yeah, so now really you're in Mangrove. It. Now you're in Mangrove Mountain, and your wife, that, that seems to be a big part that kept you glued together for this difficult period. She's introduced you now to yoga, ashram, and you're now an active service, and you're yeah. part of the band. What then? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Then I, I become a teacher in this lineage as well, doing the teacher training. And then I just discover just throughout the stays in the ashram, um, just the joy, the joy of, of Kirtan. Mm. And also during that period, I get exposed to my teacher, Sri Shaktiyama in India. And over there as well, just the, the power of mantra and chanting in the temple. So... Yeah, I just love doing it. We go to Israel. Yeah, so now Israel, you're in Israel. Yeah. And in Israel, I keep teaching, and Kirtan is not really known there. So it's an offering I feel really obliged to, to share with people. So I was I was pushing that a lot in Israel and, and introducing it to people, which was great. Um, and then a lot of these chants they came up during that period that appear on the album on, on Omkar. On the, and Omkar and the names of love. Um, and you and were on yeah, a TV show in, um, you got on The Voice? Yeah, 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 I did. How did that <laughs> outcome about? <laughs> That's a long story. Okay. <laughs> I mean... In a natural... All the chairs turned, so that's a moment to remember. Another, like... Did you see that? Yeah. Did you actually watch that moment? Yeah. Oh, cool. Could you understand anything? I didn't understand what they were saying, but I could feel the energy that they were like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, it's probably all like, Durka, 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 <laughs> River. <laughs> um, look, in Israel, as I said, it was a tough time. Like I hit rock bottom. When I got to Israel, nobody knew me as, as, a, as, as Old Man River, you know, because 
all the success just skipped Israel. And it was like starting over again from scratch. I, I played in pubs again to no one, you know, it was really depressing. Mm. And Israel anyway is a really tough place. Um, just in terms of survival, you know, minimum wage there is three times less than Australia, but the cost of living is higher. Mm. So go figure out that equation. It, it means that everyone's really stressed out financially. Um, and then it, it took a toll on us because all of a sudden we're renting a flat in Tel Aviv. We've got a child. Uh, we have to pay the daycare fees. And it was really stressful. And so um, somebody suggested that I try out for The Voice, which to me was like a joke because I... I can't be further away from that format of reality TV shows. Yeah. Um, and I've never watched an episode in my life of The Voice. I, did, I, re I really didn't know what I was getting into. Um, and this is after weeks and weeks of just, you know, asking everybody I know for advice, whether I should do it or not. Um, and simultaneously, I negotiated an agreement with the production company because those agreements are hideous, the ones that they offer, um, you know, the 18-year-olds that get on the show. Um, so I wasn't a kid, you know, I was the oldest probably contestant there. And I just nego I negotiated a really, a, a deal that really helped me out, you know, that meant that I got paid, it meant that I got to play my original music. And, you know, in order to play my original music, I've done worse things than be on primetime television, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I had creative control as well. So I almost couldn't say no. And once that deal was authorized, I just got on the show literally last minute. It was like the last day of shooting. Um, and I, I found myself in the show. I had no idea how it worked, you know, the whole thing with the chairs, everything was new to me. So I actually had a great time in the show. I had, yeah, I can imagine yeah. a great experience. And so you're saying they, they know, you know that you're going to get through and you sign contracts before that moment that everyone else sees? Is that what you're... Yeah, I mean, you, everyone signs a contract before getting on the show. And in a, um, to sum it up, they basically own your ass um, all these kids just sign it because they're like, oh, I just want to be famous. But they sign away rights for their next albums and for their publicity right. and stuff like that, which I was like, nah, I'm never going to sign this off. And nobody gets paid. Um, people don't get to play their own music. They have to play covers. So, so you were able to go through all that and change some of those yeah, you know, I, I was, agreements. Cause I was really stubborn. I was like, if you guys don't want to change it, I don't, I, I don't mind not doing the show. It's not like I really want to do it, but I think they, they were really in love with my typecast. Cause mm. I was this guy who made it huge overseas and nobody knows him in Israel. So mm -hmm. it was like, it was a great story. Um, so they really wanted me and they were able to like, just bend, bend the rules a bit. Uh, but, but I was a pioneer in that sense where when I played original music on this type of show, because um, I mean, people really then connected with my music, not just with, oh, he's got a pretty voice. Um, so a lot of these people that connected with the show and with me, the show just stayed afterwards as well. Yeah. So it was a really beneficial thing to do in Israel. Because um, after the show, I got all these, you know, 
amazing offers and there was a lot more crowd coming to the shows. So, so it really yeah. stepped you back into that light again. Yeah, it was almost like a shortcut, you know, mm. to get back on things. Uh, it still seems ridiculous when I look back. Uh, I, when I see those videos, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> it's all part of it, isn't it? Like It is, it is, yeah. It's like stepping stones. And so you've had this, let's go to a relationship for a minute because it seems like you've had a really solid relationship that's been a guiding force for you to help you through those times. Alona and me, we go way back. We, we know each other for 18, 18 years now. So we met, we met in India, the first trip I ever did to India. When you left New York, left the girlfriend, yeah. went to India. Okay. Met, met my, my wife. Met my wife in this tiny village in the Himalayas mm. uh, while I was on my way to become a monk. <laughs> That's another story there. <laughs> <laughs> it's always when you say I'm purifying my soul that things change. <laughs> um, um, so we, yeah, we met in India. We met in India. Um, this I was traveling there with a 60-year-old Indian Punjabi guy that was teaching me um, mantra meditation. Okay. And this is in a stage where I was ready to clean my act and. Um, after a long, long period of, of, you know, partying, drugs, sex, my rock and roll years were way before I even got into rock and roll. Um, and I was, and I, then I fell in love with meditation and I made this resolution to, to get into the, to become a renunciant. And while I was, I was seeing this guy every day in Rishikesh and then he, I found out about this trek to the source of the Ganges and I suggested to him that we go together and he didn't leave Rishikesh for like 35 years or something. <laughs> he was like, okay, you just let me pack my bag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come down. So I was traveling with this odd, you know, 60 year old guy and he was taking me to the cheapest like ashrams, really hardcore, no mattresses, no blankets freezing my ass and I was just meditating with him all day uh loving it loving it you know like really ready no sex drugs and rock and roll no I was like no more that's it I'm I'm done body's tanked (laughs) clocking out yeah (laughs) and you know in this age as well when you get excited about something you're like that's it um it's very very definite isn't it it's almost like yeah but that was it for me anyway and then one night this trek took a few days um, and you drive through different places. We stopped in a tiny, tiny place called Ganganani. <clears throat> and it's just got some hot springs, hot springs and a restaurant and like two tiny guest houses. And after dinner in the restaurant, I pulled out my guitar and started just jamming. And it quickly became a huge party with like a lot of domestic Indian tourists just dancing on the tables and clapping and it just went, went off. Mm. And Alona was there with her friends and she kind of heard the music and she came down to check it out. And after it was all done, she, well, she basically picked me up after it was all done. 
So for one night, I kind of forgot about my plans uh, of becoming a monk. <laughs> and, and as you do in those trips, you know, back then there were no mobile phones, nothing. And, you know, you have like all these one night stands on a trip. The next morning we just hugged and said the goodbye. That was it. Like, I didn't think I'd see her again. And on we went. I was, you know, kept going with my odd 60-year-old Indian guy. And he took me to this awful, you know, accommodation. And I was shivering in my room and trying to do my mantra. Um, and suddenly I heard a knock on the door. And it was Alona with a friend. And they were just both there giggling. And they're like, we looked all over for you. We asked people and they told us you're staying here. Um, do you want to come over to our room? We're having a party. We've got a water bed. <laughs> she really chased you, didn't she? She saw your light and she was like, I'm getting this light. Oh, I'm so grateful. And, you know, in that moment, water bed versus like a hard bed without a mattress. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm coming right now. <laughs> Packed up my bags and off I went. And that was, that was it. I mean, what an angel. I left the idea of becoming a monk from that moment. And um, <laughs> and we we ended up doing the trek together. So she joined me and Singh, that Indian teacher. Um, she left her her group. And in a symbolic way, we, we've been on that journey ever since, you know, mm. journeying together. And even that, that trek alone to the source of the Ganges was so symbolic to our relationship because... Mm. I was really in a rush to get there. You know, I was like, I got to get to the source. I got to get to the source and see it. And Alona was slow. She had this hip injury from, from her dancing days. And so she was really dragging us back. And I was getting really, like, you know, angry and impatient. And I had to slow down. And I guess she had to rush a bit forward as well to kind of meet me halfway. We met halfway. But it meant that all of a sudden I could look around and enjoy the journey. And it was beautiful. We were there like seeing all these snow-capped mountains and waterfalls and the Himalayas and beautiful flowers. And you know what? Then we get to the source and it was so disappointing. It was this dirty glacier, dirty, nothing to see really. Like it wasn't that exciting. The journey what a was metaphor. beautiful. Yeah. Mm. So she, she helped me see it, you know, and she's still helping me see it. And I can definitely tell you this, I bow down to uh, the feminine. Mm. And I trust the intuition of the feminine. I trust that knowing. And I, I definitely, again, see in hindsight that Alona was aware of so many things way before I could see them. If it was up to me, I would never get married. I would never have kids. I would never, you know, do all those things. I, I would forever be stuck in that fear of commitment. Um, and she, I just gotta, yeah, I just gotta give it to her for just sticking through, being so patient with me. Yeah. Um, and of course, we, you know, we have our ups and downs. It's not, it's not all rosy. It's always yeah. work, work in progress, but. We've been through so much now, and it, it actually is getting better and better. Like we're just in such a great stage at the moment. It's a dance, isn't it? 
Yeah. Literally yeah. is a dance. Yeah. And she's a dancer. I'm a musician. It's kind of like, yeah. It's a yeah good I'd fit. love to interview her on, on the podcast as well. I'm sure she has a beautiful story to share. I've been told when I chatted with Jessica. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So now we're still over in Israel and you're both together and you've just been on The Voice. Bring us back to how you got back to now living in Byron with your two daughters. Israel, so, yeah, it was a dark time, tough time, a bit stressful for me. And I got to say, living, you know, I always believed in that cliché or that spiritual saying that it doesn't matter where you go, you know, you always take yourself wherever you go. But I got to tell you, you know, it matters. It matters big time. Uh, and I tried implementing it so many times while I was in Israel. It just didn't work for me. The place didn't work. I was very stressed out. I was very aware of stuff that was happening only a few kilometers away from me, like the injustice. Yeah. Um, and it was very hard for me to cooperate with it, you know? I was paying tax there and just to think about my tax money going to support those things. I just, I, ethically, it was really hard. Yeah. Financially, it was impossible. I think, unfortunately, because of those two main conditions, the, 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 finan the financial aspect and the political aspect, um, it just affects everyone. And so people, the vibration is very intense and people are very short with one another. And so everyone's trying to just elbow their way. There's, it's like a constant struggle. And you know, I've experienced Australia and I was like, wait a second, I've got a choice to not live like this and I'm not taking it. And um, so I, I went to support my friend Ido again after he lost Joe, his wife. Mm. Um, I just, you know, that was really tragic and I just wanted to be near him. And he was in India. And so I went to, to meet him at, at Amaz. And it was really ironic because I came to support him, but he ended up supporting me. Yeah. Because he could see that I was in like a, in a bad place. And yeah. And he was in a really like enlightened stage then, you know, I think because of the experience, you yes. know, it happens. And I've, a similar thing happened to me when I lost my mom in a car accident. I just like, when you go through such a huge event. How old were you, you just, when that happened? I was 22. Okay. Yeah. So you just, you see, you see straight away. You see what's important. Whatever's, that would have been one of your spiritual awakenings. Oh, big time, big time. Mm. And so he reminded me that there's a choice and you can choose abundance. I was in, in a, you know, I went down the rabbit hole and I got stuck in this mindset when I was living in Israel of scarcity. Uh, I was stressed about money. and It's victim. Victim. victim mentality yeah big time why mm -hmm. is this happening to mm -hmm. me why are my friends treating me like that why is nobody helping me out and and i gotta say like i was probably not as a it wasn't attractive to be around me when i was like in that mindset you know i was pushing people away when i was in that mindset 
And, and it's hard to remember that there's an, another possibility, you know, when you're in the hole, you know, there's that famous saying, like you walk down the street, you see the hole. No, you first you fall in the hole, you didn't see it. It takes you a few days to climb out of it. The next day you're walking down the street, you see it, you fall in the hole, <laughs> takes you a few days to climb out of it. Until eventually you see the hole and you decide to take a different take road. around it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it takes a while. It takes a while to do it. And that's part of our practice. Um, so that was that was a huge turning point for me, that trip to India. I came back and I remember So he taught was, you abundance is what you were saying. He reminded me about abundance. Yeah. Remind Amma you. reminded me. Amma, you know, eventually I see the role of a spiritual teacher as someone who just reaffirms what you know. It's that... Mm. Guru is within you, you know. I was saying, bringing you home to the heart. I find that's that's what a guru does. It reminds you that that guru is within you. That it's connecting back exactly. home to the heart. Yeah, you you know you know it all. We know it all, hmm. and it's about trusting that knowing and the guru that resides inside. You know, the inner teacher. Yeah, it's great when you have an external teacher that just reaffirms that. You know, a lot of people would go to their teachers and go, um, should I buy this house? Should I wear a yellow shirt or a green shirt? It's like, come on, just trust. Yeah. Just, yeah, I, I get why people do that, but it's not like me. But, and I never asked Ama any of those questions, but that, those sort of questions. But on that trip, I did go and I went, does Ama think I should stay in Israel or go back to Australia? And she went, Maybe go back to Australia is a good idea. And just hearing that just reaffirmed something. I was like, yeah. yeah. It's like when you do heads and tail or yeah. tails, and you go, okay, best out of free. <laughs> you go. Yeah. Until you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted. Tail. <laughs> so I heard that affirmation and then I came back and I was really driven to just go back and you know, again, luckily my wife was supporting me in that. I was gonna say, luckily you're both agreeing on that yeah which wasn't easy for her because again she's really close to her family mm. um and then this was part of our decision to go to a neutral place where we both start fresh clean slate because it was very easy for me to go back to sydney that's where my family is i've got a lot of work there it was just easy to plug back into stuff um but Alona never really was 100% loving Sydney. Mm. And we just, again, pretty spontaneously decided to move up to Byron Bay, uh, mostly based around the kids' school, because um, we, we managed to get Leela into a Steiner school up here. And so she was doing Steiner in Israel, so that kind of affected our decision yeah. to keep doing Steiner here. And then we found ourselves in Malambibi. We never, ever dreamt of living here. I've been to Malambibi a lot of times because I had friends here, but again, never drew me in any way. And just because the school accepted us, we found ourselves here. And we've been here for about three and a half years now. And mm. so much has happened in such okay. a short period. And we love mm. it. We love it mm. out here. And have you found that, you know, in a piece now, do you find that you're seeing the abundance and you, you look joyful, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. I mean, if my friend told me once that this place, the Byron Bay Shire, 
it's if it teaches you one lesson it's abundance like i mean you just look at the nature here and i remember that feeling when i just came back from israel from living in this like big urban city um all the greenery i was going to say the so, vibrance of the green isn't it it's yeah it was almost awkward. I couldn't handle it. I was like, it's too much. Give me some concrete. <laughs> and now I just can't believe how people live in the concrete, you know, jungle. Mm. Um, and it does, it starts affecting you on a heart level because it's nature. So, and we are nature. We're part of nature. So I just, even just living in the setting and connecting to nature by just being out and driving the, the girls to school, even that's enough. Not to mention, you know, like swimming in the rivers here in the ocean, camping yeah. and hearing the cicadas. And it's just, it's amazing what it does to you. That alone is a great lesson, like connecting to this ancient land here. And so that definitely taught me about abundance. And, and look, again, we're really fortunate here in Australia. And I was, I, I'm still am so grateful because after that experience in Israel that we had a stint there of four years, I was like, you can actually live, you can live a good life here with, with not, not a lot, you know? Mm. I know everyone's complaining and whinging in Australia about how stressful it is. And it's true, like things are inappropriately expensive, but we still have a really good life here. Yeah. Like, it could be worse. That's my message to everyone who's listening. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just imagine making three times less and still having the same expenses, you know, just go figure that out. Yeah. Um, so all those things just really calmed my nervous system down. I was lucky to have the space and the time to create again. Mm. And that led to me setting up a studio and being able to concentrate on finishing Old Man River albums and making this album, the chanting album which is mm. leading us to this this point. You met, you got to sing in front of the Dalai Lama. Where was this on the timeline of all this experience? I got to sing in front of him twice, by the way. Um, okay. First time was Ben Lee was invited to sing uh, at a concert for him in Sydney, and he called me up to play guitar. So that's the first time I met him. This was 2007, I think, something like that. And... We got to do a meet and greet with him. And I thought, this is it. I'm meeting the Dalai Lama. Maybe he can slip me the answer. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me and like pretty much every second person in India looks at my hair and just goes, nice hairstyle. (laughs) It starts cracking up. And... And that was amazing, like to see like one of the more, like the ultimate spiritual figure, right? Just cracking up, like from my Jufro, <laughs> really still to this day really reminds me of the real masters, they take it lightly. They're not serious. Yeah. You know, they they joke around like Yoda. They're just funny. Yeah. So he was amazing. That was the first time. The second time Old Man River was um, invited to perform in a concert. Um, in Perth okay, and, and that was epic that was epic because I was doing my yogic studies uh, yogic teacher training in Mangrove Mountain mm-hmm. and I couldn't miss um, 
the course, like you have to do a certain percentage, percentage of the course, otherwise you, you fail it. So I couldn't miss too many hours. So I was like, okay, I'll get a flight um, that I think that night I left the ashram. It was Alona's birthday. I proposed to her. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I got on a plane the next morning, flew to Perth, played to the Dalai Lama, mm. got, that was like two, three hours, got back to the airport the same day, flew <laughs> back to Sydney, got in a car and drove back to Mangrove. So I was only in Perth for like, you know, three or four hours. Yeah. But um, that's a man on the road. <laughs> whew, that, was, that was too crazy. <laughs> But in that, again, there was a meet and greet with him. And this time he spoke to the musicians and he kind of shared his message to us. And that's something I really took on. Um, it, his message was that there's too much violence in the world already. Mm-hmm. And if we as artists, we can do our share by not promoting more violence. Mm-hmm. It was like, just bring more light uh, and love and peace as a message for your music. And I was like, all right, that's it. You know, like that's, that's part of the mission. Let's just focus on that. Mm. And, and I think that was a guiding light. I mean, as an artist, you just let whatever wants to come up, come up. I'm not going to filter it out, but I did kind of channel myself more towards the light versus the dark. And the love vibration. Definitely, definitely. Mm. In everything, like every style, every genre, at least the intention should be there. Well, there's definitely that lightness to your to your music. I mean, every album that you've made from Old Man River to the new one that I've just listened to, there's yeah. a lightness. And, and you know, for anyone that's, that hasn't heard you, there's just a resonance to your, your tone of your voice that has carried out through all your work. And it, it is like your, your heart voice, you know, it's... Um, You've definitely found that and we can feel your your energy and your vibration through all the projects that you've done. Because I feel like I've been on the journey for quite a long time with you. Yeah, you have. (laughs) Yeah. I want to also now go, before we wrap it all up, you got to play at House of Bliss once you must have introduced you to some of the community. Is that what it's called, House of Bliss in in Byron? Yeah, which I met them through you that the first time. Yes, I know. I met those guys in the... uh, (laughs) World uh, World Day, Earth Day. Earth, Earth Day, Day. yes, yeah. Um, yeah. exactly. So I introduced yeah. them to you that day. Yeah. Um, it was Sangeeta and think, Kunda, Yes, those guys, yeah. Yes, because it, it popped up on my memory on Facebook that you were all in um, Tamsin and Tyler that played the trumpets house because we had to have a space for you to all rehearse that song you'd never met before. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, I can I completely forgot about that meeting, you know, even when yeah. I met them here. Yeah. It feels like I've been on a lot of little points in your life. <laughs> We're definitely sharing the same points because it's the same journey, you yeah. know? It's really interesting. Like, yeah, and it, I guess with us, it's really interesting how we both tasted the corporate life, you know, the more mainstream. I mean, yeah, I was voted, things. yeah, Vogue's number one Australian designer and I, you know, sold to New York and sold to Singapore and UK and in the department stores. So I know what it's like. Your, your ego tastes that, you know, and then you yeah. have to, you're pulled to another journey. And yeah, my, I mean, my first introduction was into Bhakti music. Yeah. So Kevin James and um, 
Edo and Joe and Sacred Earth were all the first events that I um, organized as yeah. my heart space back then. Yeah, and beautiful one space. of the artists that I, I got to um, work with and tour was Garavani from America. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> How amazing, yeah. eh? Wow. And, um, but, yeah, what a performer, what a heart. Oh. Like you can just feel the heart through the tone oh. of his voice. Incredible. One of my favourite I mean, songs is Surrender that he sings with a beautiful violinist and her vocals and his wife dancing. And Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the Krishnas, I mean, they take it to the next level, anything to do with bhakti and kirtan. And I was lucky. I was invited to play with him when he came up here. And it was and really amazing. Yeah. No, sorry. Was, and Madhava as well. Yeah. Uh, it was in the same place, actually. And but what was amazing is that they attracted a lot of young kids, you know, mm. the, the younger Krishna generation. And, you know, when they get into it, they're so ecstatic. And I was going to say, this is a movement that I observed, um, you know, bringing this bhakti music into Sydney. I was really part of that movement. Um, I mean, the Krishnas brought it, but I was I, I was part of bringing it to a different, um, yeah. different venues. and and. Definitely. What I found when these bands came over to Australia, it did bring that mix of not only sitting and chanting that we're, we're used to in the temples, but that ecstatic side where everyone was just in this total bliss of dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Took it to I a think, whole other level. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Like the, be the beauty that you exposed it to a different crowd and developed it because, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about yoga in general. Um, how I saw that mantra movie and you know it's following like Krishna Das, Deva Pramal, yeah. those guys um, and there's an amazing scene there where Krishna Das is touring India and he plays in Mumbai to some students um, from like school of finance or something like that <laughs> and there's an Indian guy that starts crying at the end because he says I grew up in India I was never exposed to, exposed to these things. I've never chanted kirtan in my life. It takes a Jewish guy from New York to come here to my country yeah. to sing kirtan for me to get it. So I, I I've heard it that story a lot from a lot of the artists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because there is a movement now where, you know, a lot of people are saying uh, it's culturally inappropriate and we're using all these like these cultures. I, I, I see their point, but I think the world is open now and, and it's actually the fusion now. Yeah. This, this, like how you take something and you mix it, you blend it and you open up to a whole new crowd and it mm. becomes a whole other thing. I mean, the essence is still the same. It's yeah. all about connecting with the divine through this practice. Yeah. And and I love, I love how this scene is, is just, you know, it's, it's, it's forming now. And I, and I find my, my place in it as well. It's like bringing, like you probably brought your sense of fashion and I did. <laughs> the, the way of doing things into mm. this, like the spiritual world. Mm. You brought, you know, you could see things probably that needed improvement or yeah. that you thought you could help improve. Mm. Your strongholds, that's, that's what you brought in. And so for me, coming from a background of pop music, for example, and high production values as a producer, 
I spotted uh, the weaknesses in, in the Western Kirtan scene. Uh, a lot of it is, is due to production. You know, the production sometimes is pretty amaturish. People just record with the means that they've got. And a if lot we're of people get, go, Yeah, if we're going to get really honest here, what I mean, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here, but what I what I found difficult was musically, you know, and and as that styling fashion sense, often it became a mishmash of musicians on a stage with with no styling, and and I know the essence of what it's about, but I I really saw this potential of how it can be a genre in music because I felt, and why I'm saying this is because I think that going back to the Dalai Lama, this is the vibration that was needed. So if there was a way to create a fusion so that it could reach, you know, more people, then I feel like it was, you know, something that it was just a niggling within me that I was like, oh, I just, you know, so I did take Dave Stringer into you know, the factory theatre in Sydney and, you know, we were sold out. And I remember the manager, um, the owner of the factory theatre coming up to me because there was no alcohol at the event. And he was like, how did you sell that event out? You know, Mm. Um, and the the vibration, he said it was just the most joyful, easygoing event we've had in that room. Like he said, we could just feel it in the venue. Um, The staff were happy. And that sound engineer from that show actually came and worked at One Space HQ because he said, I just want more of this, you know, Ah, and that was Sebastian Parisi that you would have met at that One Space HQ. So he was like, I just want to do sound for this vibration, you know. I Um, think that's it. It's it's back to like you experience the practice and that's it. Like, um, and and I think it's, it's amazing. I think that insight you had, that vision you had is worth pursuing. I mean, there's always going to be people that will not be happy or mm. satisfied with change. Or they go, this is the tradition, this is how it needs to be. And and I mean, I've got my criticism to how mainstream yoga became, right? And all the different types of yoga. And, you know, you'd like goat yoga and wine yoga. Chocolate <laughs> like yoga. <laughs> but who cares? I mean, yeah. yoga became mainstream and that's amazing. It you know? did, yeah. And so, we're, and, it's all right. You'll have those things on the way, but let's not forget about the benefits and the essence and what this yoga is doing. And, and if bhakti yoga can reach more people, then why not? I mean, we're yeah. in a world right now where the real pandemic is depression and anxiety and bhakti yoga can help, you know, come and on. depression, anxiety <laughs> within the youth. I mean, it's starting at very young ages there. Yeah. And I mean, just going back to the new album, I I was playing it in the house and even, you know, my children were still on iPads and just having that undertone vibration, so healing, recommend it to all families. It just, <laughs> you know, it just, it raises things in the home that, and I had it playing all morning as well while they were getting ready for school and it, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, kids love, love it. it. I think kids connect with it because, you know, it's simple. And it's cyclical. It just it's repetitive, and kids mm. love that. I mean, we we love it too. Mm. Our inner inner child loves it. Yeah, it's an amazing practice. And to be honest, I still catch myself before I lead kirtan. I there is a voice in my head that just goes, "What are you doing?" 
know, you are this Jewish guy, grew up in a secular family, about to lead uh, people to sing mantras in Sanskrit names. Um, so I, I, I'm honestly saying, I still don't know what I'm doing, but the minute I start practicing, the minute I start chanting, it all comes. It, it, I just remind myself of, uh, of, of the love. Yeah. Because you, you call the names of love and they respond. You become the love. You become you present. And yeah. with presence come all the beautiful qualities. Yeah. Bliss, joy, creativity, you know? Yeah. So I love, I love chanting. I love kirtan because I'm lazy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's great. And you, if you meditate for 10 days, it's amazing. You probably hit similar results. <laughs> And there's a it's lot a of ways. It's a natural drug. To... It's definitely a natural drug. <laughs> yeah, you can take drugs. There's a lot yeah. of ways to get there. But mm. chanting, so easy. You just chant, mm. boom. <laughs> like Swami Shivananda said that chanting is like a rocket to self-realization. <laughs> it's it's that easy. It's that easy. So it's great for lazy people. And I'm sure there's a few lazy listeners out there. That... I chanted all the way through um birthing my second my my twin, my son that came out second wow. and they were about to rush me to have a cesarean because yeah. he was um, breached. And as the doctor rushed away, I was just left with um, a doula and I think the midwife was there and I started chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, around, around, around. He turned and came out and the, wow. the midwife caught caught him <laughs> but the doctor amazing. was amazed that he um actually followed me up and said i i, I need to understand how did you do that <laughs> so yeah oh my god so chanting is also good for birth yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. yeah i love that story incredible mm. well i i honestly the biggest problem i'm having with this podcast is I just have so much more I, I want to ask you. Um, so we I'd, catch up again. I'd love yeah, to it's... catch up with you again because um, I'm really enjoying this and I really want to touch base with everyone and see, you know, where you're at because this is a really important time. Um, you know, it's a repetitive thing we're all speaking about. We haven't actually brought up COVID-19. But, you know, it's for me, it reminded me of the September 11th. So it's interesting that you brought that up today because that was one of the experiences for me where I was like, okay, what, what is your mission? What are you going to do? And you just sort of had this awareness. It's a, it's a little knowing in the back of you that I'm able to, to reference to during this experience. Um, so what did you, um, gain from this experience, you know, when everything was shut down and. Yeah, I think it's great because yeah, COVID gave everyone a chance to stop and Mm. see where they're at on the journey and, maybe replan their course. Uh, for me, to be honest, especially living up here, it was probably, you know, we're so fortunate. It's probably the best place to get quarantined in because we can still go to the beaches and yeah. bushwalks and spend time with our family. I mean, how great is that? Mm. And again, we're lucky in Australia because we don't have it as bad as other places. Um, so it wasn't that hard for me and we're so blessed, you know, to be in a country where the government's supporting you and helping businesses. Um, so again, if anything, it just reinforced Mm. the mission, the vision and, and made me even, 
yeah, just more determined to keep sharing what I'm sharing. And it'll be, I mean, we were really lucky. Last week was the first time since COVID started or the lockdown started that I sang with people in the flesh okay. when we did the album launch. Uh, because due to restrictions, we could only have it outdoors. And luckily we had a beautiful day. And Where did you do the album launch? We did it in the Malam, the Malam Bibi uh, farmer, farmer's markets. Okay. Not on a market day, but under these beautiful fig trees. Mm. And it was a small event. You're still kind of restricted with the number of people that can come. But, I mean, Zoom is, is great. Not so great for Kirtan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just to have people there, the energy together, enchanting there, it was so emotional. And it was, I mean, just to kind of like tie it all together, it was on the 21st of June, which is the winter solstice. It's mm. World Yoga Day. Yep. It was also the anniversary of my mom's death. My mom passed away on that day. So it was 18 wow. years since she passed. So it was a very emotional day for me. Mm. And, and I shared that with the people in the crowd that we, you know, we connect in sorrow. We connect in joy and we connect in love. That's how we connect. And those events that happen to us, the pain, um, is just a way to crack open the heart. Yep. And when the heart is tender, we can relate to everybody else because everyone's in pain. Everyone's experiencing suffering. Everyone's mm. experiencing joy or has the potential to experience joy and love. Um, and for me, singing JJ Ma mm. on that day, which is the same chant I heard when I was on the couch in New York and I didn't know what it meant, and realizing that even though my physical mother passed away, I'm in the womb, we are all in the womb of the Divine Mother, mm. where everything is created and everything vanishes. And when you realize that, I mean, you can't even realize that with your intellect. When you come to the edge of your intellect, all you can be and all you can do is bow down. And I bow down to all mothers, by the way. I bow down to my partner as a mother, to you as a mother, mm -hmm. to all mothers. And then I bowed out to the Divine Mother because there's nothing left but to praise her. And the way we praise her is one of the ways, just JJ. And sing to her, love her, you know? Hmm. What a beautiful, yeah, you couldn't have said it more beautiful, in the names of love. How can we support you? How can we support um, Omkar Kirtan at this moment in time? Where can we direct uh, people to? Yeah. Uh, look, it's available on all streaming platforms, but I might go on a little rant here, uh, but uh, how unjust streaming is to artists, all artists, because uh, you might feel that whilst you're paying membership to the streaming platforms, they might support the artists, but it doesn't really trickle down to the artists. So, if you, I mean, the best way is 
getting onto the website, omkarkirtan.com. And there's a music section there. And all the chants and the album, including, are available for download by donation. So you decide how much you pay. If you don't want to pay, that's fine. Um, Just ask that you join the mailing list. And that's it. I please ask everyone to support and go on to omkarkirtan.com and also oldmanriver.com. Yeah, oldmanrivermusic.com. Oh, that's it, oldmanrivermusic.com. Yeah, so similar thing, yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. You know, and I, I want to ask you who you're producing. So many more questions, so we'll have oh. you back on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for doing what you love and um, for bringing out this music. And I look forward to catch up with you again. Thanks for being on One Space Love podcast. Thank you, Steph. It was a real pleasure chatting. One Space Love. One Space Love. One Space Love.